Hello, Mountain. Good to see everybody. Happy Father's Day. Glad you're with us. Uh, as you know, we're wrapping up uh, this series um, we've called Love Handles. Love Handles, uh, of course, being the perfect kind of symbolic reminder of those, uh, you know, they, we don't know what Love Handles are, those little bulges of imperfection hiding under our shirts that are reminders that we're not just imperfect physiologically man we've got we've got blemishes and problems and imperfections all through us and so does everybody else which is why we're going to God's word to say hey help us with um, how to get a handle on relationships and today we're talking about fatherhood now does everybody understand that when it comes to parenting fathers and mothers sometimes do things differently does anybody know what I'm talking about if you don't understand, I thought maybe I'd help you out on this Father's Day, uh, give you a little graphic demonstration of what I'm talking about. So, for example, let me show you a picture. Here's a picture. This is mom uh, playing with blocks and learning our colors. That's what it looks like when mom plays with a baby. Now, dad, here's dad. Um, <laughs> yeah, what happens if I put this leaf blower in your face? So that's kind of an illustration of the differences between dads and moms, right? I got another one for you. Here, here's mom patiently helping a child learn how to ride a bike, right? Uh-huh. Now here's dad uh, playing on the bike himself while the child watches. Hey dad, can I try? No, just a minute, kid. So here's another one. Here's what it looks like when mom gives baby a bath. A little bonding and special time. Now dad, when he gives baby a bath, um, it's playtime. Here's mom at the store, carefully pricing groceries and so forth, taking care of things. Here's dad, completely burying his kid <laughs> in groceries, right? Now, when mom wants to teach her child how to cut up carrots, this is what it might look like, giving a lifelong lesson that the child can keep with you know, them a whole life, you know. Dad might more apt to <laughs> teach their child how to stand on a hot grill. <laughs> what is that? Smell, anyway. Yeah. And finally, uh, here's the way mothers might go for a walk with their little ones. Yes, in a stroller like that. Dads, on the other hand, it looks more like that when you're <laughs> going for a walk with the kids. I don't know how any of us survive. If you have a dad, you made it through somehow, I guess. There are differences, right? Um, so when you come to Father's Day, you can't help but think about dads. You can't help but think about your own father. And maybe some of you are like, man, my dad was awesome. And honestly, you know, maybe some of you are just exactly the opposite, you know. You think about, man, it was awful. Or maybe for you, your dad was just average or absent or even abusive, you know. So wherever you find yourself, okay, whether your dad was awesome or average or awesome or abusive or absent, it doesn't matter. The one thing we have in common is uh, that all of our dads are, are flawed and broken, have, have love handles. And uh, that's one thing we certainly have in common. I'm, uh, I'm no expert on parenting or fatherhood, but I do have some experience. Uh, one of the experiences that Carl and I just had is watching one of our kids uh, graduate from high school a couple weeks ago. A number two son, Andrew, is a picture of Andrew uh, ha hassling with the tassel there. Yeah, yeah, I didn't think he'd make it either, but uh, yeah. So yeah, he's heading down, hopefully, University of Maryland in the fall. And so what, what's coming is um, we've got this kind of big ordeal that a lot of parents have gone through. I've gone through it once. You might go through it. All parents kind of track with me. Everyone can kind of maybe track with an illustration I might give here for, for a minute. You're going to go through this awful ordeal uh, and maybe you can kind of picture the scene. Your 18-year-old is there 
and standing in front of you, tears rolling up in your eyes because the time has come to say goodbye. Right? Maybe you moved him into his dorm room, you got the fan in the window, you got the special little books you've purchased and the, and the laundry thing that goes in the closet and fits just right and everything, but now you realize that as you're about to say goodbye, it's goodbye because he's not going to come back except for, you know, money or laundry. And so you can maybe see how that would play out. You wrap your arms around him or her, right? Um, flood of emotions rising up in you. Memories coming back. Remember kindergarten graduation. You remember all those ties you got for Father's Day over the years. You remember, you remember special moments you had together and fishing trips and that kind of stuff. You maybe feel blessed. Maybe there's a hug. Maybe there's a brush of tears. But in that moment, you tell you tell them how proud you are and that you love them. And then one of you turns to go. He turns to to leave and he drives away. Now, here's the question I have for you. What does he drive away with? I don't mean what kind of car. I mean, I mean, what's he, what's he got? Does he, does he have something? If that's your kid, does she, does she have uh, strength? Does she have some kind of inner reservoir of something that was deposited that counts for what really matters? Does, does he have faith? Does he have hope? Does he have love? Those are important questions. And, 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 and it kind of becomes a question for every guy in the room. Every, every dad, every grandpa, every uncle. But guess what? It quickly becomes a question for all of us. For every mom and every kid and every one of us. Because it's a question not just about, man, do I have something to give the other people in my life, it, it, it becomes a quickly a question about what do I have myself because I can't give what I don't have. And people around you, whether you're a dad or you're just a kid, people around you are getting whatever you're given. So what do you have? What are you given? And do you have about you something that's the most important thing, a deposit of faith and hope and love? They will anchor your life and help you be a person of strength and help them be a person of strength. So this is a big question. A lot of us might say, I, I don't know, this is, this is a hard question for me. It makes me feel insecure to think about it. I don't, I don't, have, I don't, I don't, I don't, I don't feel like I, I, I have a lot of family background to help me with this or I don't have a lot of experience. And yet you add on top of that, especially on a Father's Day, the thought that this, the image of men and guys in our culture is just increasingly confusing and the picture that's put out there is degrading and ignoble. You know, the guys are just usually just portrayed as behaving badly, a bunch of doofuses and nincompoops, a bunch of slackers. You listen to hip-hop or country or pop music or you look at the sitcoms and the way they're portrayed. You look at pro sports heroes and you see these, this weakness, this moral compass that's off, this sense of entitlement, the bad treatment of women. And we ourselves, many of us, more of us are statistically, sociologists are saying, we ourselves grow up in, in dysfunctional homes and it's creating this soil out of which is springing guys who are growing up and they don't know what the target is to be a man anymore. They don't know what it means to be a dad. So dads are increasingly, we're told, now distracted, withdrawn, having a hard time overcoming our passivity and taking responsibility. We hide behind our overwork, our exhaustion and our disinterest. Increasing numbers are caught up in chemical dependency. 
56% of all households with children are now led by a single parent. Many of those dads, some of those dads just aren't there. Divorce, abuse, consumed with ourselves, the image of fathers in question. So you see all this weakness, which is a whole lot of reason why we thought it might be really just important today to have an encouraging word. An encouraging word. Because what they're leaving with sometimes makes you feel weak and insecure. Ask some big questions about what you deposited. And you look around and it makes you feel even more that way. So, so if you have love handles, and especially if you're a dad today, we want to give some stuff for you. People, if you wonder if you've got what it takes to pass on, if you're given any faith, hope, and love, or any kind of strength deposit like that, I want to give a, a word that's encouraging and I hope challenging. It's, it's for all of us. Dads and lads, okay? Guys and gals, dames and dudes, all right? And, and especially a word for dads to listen in today. You, know, like you can go ahead and turn in your Bible, or if you've got your phone or your app or whatever you keep your, phone, your, your Bible app, go to Genesis chapter 22. We're going to get there in a minute. But uh, the first thing that uh, I, I would say is I'm going to spend a little time talking about a guy named Abraham. Everybody say Abraham. Abraham. Everyone's probably heard of this guy because he's like one of the hall of fame of the faithful, right? He's a big dude in Bible, Bible times and Bible people know Abraham. And what I think you're going to be encouraged to see is that this guy had tremendous obstacles to overcome and yet he's a guy who lived a great life and he made a great transfer, a deposit of strength, faith, hope, and love to those around him. And the same thing can happen for you and me. Because God is willing to deposit strength and give us what we do not possess. And when you have that strength, here's what God can give you. First thing I wanted to note from Abraham's life, it's true for you and me, is that God, through His grace, is willing to give you power to overcome your family of origin issues. God is willing to do that and is able to do that. The Bible is utterly realistic. It's right down to where we live. This is one of those times. Because every family has family of origin issues. Yes, you've got quirks and traditions and idiosyncrasies, but I mean there's some stuff about your story and your family that has you have some issues because of it. There are no perfect families. Everyone's got love handles. And you may wonder, you know, the dads, you may wonder, how can I be a great dad? I didn't have one. How can I... How can I um, Say, I love you and be tender when no one did that for me. I don't even know how to do that. I feel like I'm broken in that part of me. How can I be tough and disciplined when I had such a slacker for lackadaisical dad? How can, I, how can I give out something when no one poured anything into me? Maybe your dad died when you were young. Maybe, uh, maybe you were raised by your mom or some grandmother or some other family member. Maybe you were passed around in foster homes like some of us were. Maybe your dad had his own hang-ups and his own issues. Every dad does. Maybe your dad was absent or was overcome with his own addictions or was abusive in some way or just so narcissistic that he was unable to really care or have a heart or mind for you. Those things are, those things are tough. Those are hard things and they stick with you in life. They become forever woven into the tapestry that is your life. But they do not need to define you. They do not need to define you. But they can leave some of us saying, man, I, I wish I had something to pour into someone else, my kids, my spouse, the other, my friends, the world, but I feel like my cup is empty. No one poured into me. 
Maybe that's how you find yourself today. You come to today feeling like that, like no one poured into you. That that legacy of faith, hope, and love wasn't fully there for you. When you hear the name Abraham, you might think of someone who's kind of got his spiritual act together. After all, he's kind of this famous guy for all the faith he had and all the big things he did in the Bible, right? And you might think, wow, he surely had, you know, a dad who poured into him. He probably had his great family. He probably grew up going to church. Remember, you know, Sunday school and Christian college and all that stuff, right? Wrong. No, that's true for Abraham at all. Not at all. Here's a surprise. The Bible doesn't tell us a, a, a ton about Abraham's family, but what it does say is very revealing. If you look over in Joshua chapter 24, verse 2, it says this, Long ago, your ancestors, including Terah, who is the father of Abraham, they all lived beyond the Euphrates River, over there in another place, far away, and they worshipped other gods. You see that? Abraham's father, Terah, was not a follower of God. He worshipped idols. In that culture, it would have been like the moon god. Here's the point. Abraham, this person we think of as the super strong follower of God, did not learn to follow God from his father. Abraham's a guy who grew up and he could say, spiritually speaking, his glass was empty. Maybe a lot of you can identify with that. I know your stories. I know a lot of you do feel like I do identify with that. You say, I wish, I wish I had memories of going fishing with my dad. I wish I had memories of, you know, making a model with him in the basement or shooting baskets in the driveway or him taking me out and doing something special or doing a science project together or dunking me in the pool like I saw other dads. And you just say, I, I wish. I wish, some of you would say, I wish I could remember one time my dad cracking a Bible at home. I wish I could remember my dad giving an authentic prayer just one time with the family. But you don't have any of those memories. Maybe you didn't have any of that in your family of origin. And maybe you feel like your family of origin just doesn't, didn't fill you with the kind of strength and faith, hope, and love we're talking about. And here's what's really important for you to know. Neither did Abraham. Neither did he. He didn't have it. And yet what we do find in Abraham is this. We find that he had a choice to make about whether he was going to let God into his life and how much of his future trajectory was going to be determined by God filling him or how much of his future trajectory was going to be determined by his family of origin. And every single one of us has the exact same choice. You have the same choice. And what Abraham did... And the reason we're still talking about him today is that he chose to open his life to God and be filled with God in such a way, to trust God in such a way that it started a new path for him, a new legacy and a new tradition. And this is a question I talked to a couple just, just a few days ago. They were just sat there with tears in their eyes, asking, wondering aloud, in light of all of the generational stuff that's come through their family, just wondering, can we, we want to find a home in this church so we can maybe start a new path, a new direction for our kids. Is that possible, they wondered. Some of you are called to do exactly that, to do exactly what Abraham did, exactly what that couple wants to do, and that is to say, you know what? I know there's this function. Whatever abuse, whatever negativity, whatever critical spirit, whatever laziness or ungodliness or whatever other stuff is part of the family system and cycle that's come to you, you say, the chain gets broken with me. It stops here. And I'm going to set a new path to say, this is where... We're going to go forward from here. And the way you do that is you decide to let God be the father of you that fills you. That's how you do it. Think about Abraham now for a minute. He, um, 
He, he lived in a place called Ur. That's a nice name for a town, Ur, spelled U-R, Ur. Where are you from? Ur, Ur, Ur. I don't know. Yeah. How do you abbreviate Ur, I wonder? So he, um, he was very successful, very affluent guy, and uh, he had made it to the top of the heap, so to speak. He had accumulated. Abraham did all this stuff, stockpile possessions, real estate, stocks, employees, animals, the whole thing. He was a power broker in his community. He was very comfortable. He had arrived. He was living the Ur dream, Okay. Then God comes along and rattles his cage, gets his attention, and says, Abraham, I want you to risk it all. I want you to move to a land I'm going to show you. Abraham, I want you to step out. I want you to step away from all the familiar, all the comfortable, all, all of the trappings of your worldly success. I want you to move from success to significance. I'm asking you to move somewhere, and I'm asking you to trust me Abraham, I'm going to show you a new place and I'm going to give you a family. I know you don't have kids, but I'm going to give you a family. And through those kids and their kids and their kids, you're going to have a whole nation of people through whom I'm going to bless the whole world. I want to bless you to be a blessing, Abraham. It's a big promise. God got his attention. So we've got a purpose that's bigger than what you're doing with your life right now. That's what happens when God gets your attention. You start realizing that the comfortable place you are is not where you're supposed to stay. And he's got all this stuff going against him. He's old. He doesn't have any kids. He doesn't have any idea where God wants to go. He can't look to his dad for help or encouragement on this. But somehow he made a decision to open himself to God and to trust the Lord. And he starts packing. And that was the key to him overcoming that family of origin stuff. That's the same conversation a lot of us maybe are having with God, something like that. God, I, I don't even know this whole description of trying to deposit faith in, my, in others around me. I, I don't know where that is. I've never been there before. Where are we going? I don't know what it looks like. I don't know how to be a good dad. I don't know how to be a godly person. I don't have any examples of this around me in my life. You see, God's always going to, wherever He's leading you, there's always going to be an unsettling feeling you have inside about it. Abraham's cruising through life and God gets his attention. Maybe some of you are experiencing some of the same thing. You know, I like that. I see the lot at Mountain. You know, I was just going through my life and I start asking myself questions. I start thinking about God a little more. I start wondering if maybe that God peace that I haven't really had in my life is more important than I originally thought. I start wondering if maybe it really does matter and, and maybe if, if I need to have something for me and to pour into others. Others who are looking to me and counting on me, to my spouse, my kids, my friends, the world. So God got Abraham's attention. Is God, is God trying to get your attention, do you think? We have a saying around here, we say sometimes at Mountain, when God tries to get your attention, pay attention. Is God trying to get your attention? Rattling your cage. Sometimes here's what I see. Here, there's lots of ways that 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 um, God tries to get our attention. But some of the some of the ways that sometimes I see it happen is is especially thinking about fathers. It happens when uh, their kids start acting up or start acting out, and they start getting worried. Like maybe I don't know. I don't have any guidance to give them. I, I, don't, I don't. I don't. I don't know. I'm going to lose them. And they start getting worried, and then, then all of a sudden they start thinking about things that are more important. Or sometimes. When you're at rock bottom, you know, you just kind of hit, hit bottom emotionally or spiritually or physically or financially. Or maybe it's when you top out. 
And you start realizing all the success and all the blessing and all the wealth and all the stuff that you have. You start wondering. There's a little part of you that starts asking a question in your head that says, you know what, maybe all this is somehow a blessing from God and I'm supposed to do something with it. Or maybe there's more. Sometimes it happens when you just get really lonely and realize you don't really have any friends. Sometimes God gets your attention when you just wake up one day to the haunting realization that you're actually a very shallow person. There isn't much there. Others, it happens when you're around someone who seems to have faith, hope, and love. And you, like, you kind of wish you did. Makes you long for it. Or, or you, see, you realize you're not equipped to pass on a legacy like that. So that if, when your kid goes away, when the people who are going away from your relationship with you, that, that they just don't have much because you didn't have much to give them. When God gets your attention, it's unsettling. And a lot of questions come, in, come into your, your mind. But here's the most important thing to, to note. Is that when God comes into your life, every one of us has a choice of whether we're going to receive or reject. Whether we're going to... God wants to like pour blessing and favor and, and grace he wants to pour stuff into your life, but what, what, what happens is a lot of times we're kind of closed off. We close off, and so, and this is about what it amounts to right here. God trying to pour favor and blessing, trying to call you to himself, trying to get your attention, trying to speak to you, and our lives come away looking the same because we ourselves were closed off. And I see it happen all the time. And what we do is we tend to blame our family of origin for all the things that's wrong with me and that's why I don't open my heart to be really receive what God is trying to say. You know, Fred Craddock is an old preacher. He's had a big influence on my life. really appreciate him. Um, he just passed away a little bit ago. Uh, but he tells a story um, from years ago when he and his wife were in Gatlinburg, Tennessee. They were taking a little short vacation and one night they found their way into this old restaurant just to eat a meal. They were hoping for a quiet meal just with the two of them. You know, he's kind of an introvert. And uh, while they were waiting for the meal, they noticed this distinguished looking gentleman with old, uh, you know, kind of white hair moving from table to table, greeting everyone, talking to actually everyone in the restaurant. And Craddock whispers to his wife, oh, I hope they don't come over here, you know. He's just like wanting to get some just peace and quiet. Didn't want them to intrude on his privacy. Of course, of course, here he did come right over toward them, you know, and... Oh, hello, where are you folks from? And he says, uh, Oklahoma. Oh, splendid state, never been there, heard it's a great state, blah, 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 blah. He keeps talking and talking. Oh, what do you do for a living? Craddock's like, okay, here we go. He says, well, I, I teach homiletics. He says, oh, you teach preachers. Oh, good. He says, let me tell you. He says, pulls up a chair, sits right down at the table, says, let me tell you my preacher's story. And preachers love that, you know. It's like, oh, everyone's got a preacher's story. So here we go. He says, my, I'm Ben Hooper, he says, shakes his hand. Ben Hooper says, I was born not far from here across those mountains. And when I was born, my mama wasn't married. And that was a especially big deal back then in that place. So I had a real hard time growing up. Uh, when I started to school, my classmates, they had a name for me. And it wasn't a very nice name. I used to go off by myself at recess and at lunchtime, just because the taunts and the calling of names, the rejection, just cut me so deeply. So the worst part was walking downtown Saturday. Every Saturday, I'd have to go down after, in the afternoon, feeling every eye in the town burning a hole right through me. And they were all wondering just who my real father was. When I was about uh, 12 years old, he says, uh, a new preacher came to our church. 
says, I always used to go in late and then I'd slip out early. So I didn't have to talk to anybody. That's how I got along. But one day that old preacher, that, the, the new preacher, said the closing prayer so fast and slipped to the back that I got caught and I had to go out with everybody else in the crowd. So I could just feel every eye in the church burning a hole in me. And just about that time I got to the door, I felt a big hand on my shoulder and I looked up and it was that old preacher looking down at me. He says, well, who are you, son? Whose boy are you? And he said, I could just feel the old weight coming back down on me like a big black cloud hanging over my head. He said, even the preacher was putting me down now. thought the church was safe, and now it wasn't. But as he looked down at me, uh, he kind of quickly had a little smile of recognition come across his face. And he says, oh, wait a second, I recognize you. He says, I know who you are, young man. I see the family resemblance. You're a son of God, aren't you? You're a child of God. And with that, he patted me on the rump, sent me out the door and said, you've got quite an inheritance, young man, now go claim it. And Ben Hooper told Craddock at the table there, he said, that was the most important single sentence anyone ever said to me. It changed my whole life. And he shook their hands and moved on to another table, started greeting other friends. And that's about the time Fred Craddock remembered that name, Ben Hooper, Ben Hooper. And it dawned on him that this little boy, this illegitimate child, so to speak, that had grown up, Ben Hooper was the governor of the state of Tennessee. He'd overcome so much. His mama couldn't afford to even raise him and put him in an orphanage. He grew up in the slums of Knoxville, Tennessee, back in the worst era. But he graduated high school. He graduated college. went on to become a lawyer. became the governor of the state of Tennessee. And more important than that, he became someone who was filled with faith, hope, and love and passed on that legacy to his six kids and a whole boatload of other people as well. How, how did he get past it? He experienced the filling of God. He made a decision. He was going to open himself to that truth of who he was. And he let God be his father. And God filled his life to overflow. He made a decision like that. I love the scriptures in Psalm 68 verse 5, which gives this great promise to all of us. It says that God is like a father to the fatherless. A defender of widows or anyone else who feels like I don't have anybody anymore who's pouring into me. I'm left alone. That's God. If you say, that's me, I got no one pouring into me or I didn't get enough or I got the wrong stuff in my cup, you just need to say, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to turn, open myself and let God fill me up and God, you be the Father to me. And you got to realize, I don't care who you are, the longings that all of us have to be filled up are longings that no human father, no human mother, no wife, no husband, no kids can ever fill. Completely. The only way to get filled in full is when you say, God, I want you uh, to be my father. So let him reparent you. Let him fill you. Let him recreate you. Let him make you. Let him pour into you. As you begin, just go deeper with God. Get into his word. Start talking to him in real conversation. Get hooked up with a, a group of folk from Mountain here where you can just say, I need myself filled up. I need something to be able to give. Because Abraham's story is all of our story, isn't it? God's getting your attention. You've got a decision to make about whether you're going to open yourself to him and you can just say, fill 
me up. And when you do, he'll give you faith, hope, and love in a way that you'll have something to pass on. And that'll help you overcome your family of origin issues too. Let me give you something else here. Because God, in His grace, gives us power, not just to overcome our family of origin issues, but God gives us power to move past our past mistakes. Look at that person sitting next to you. I mean, seriously, they have made some serious mistakes. Oh, guess what? They're looking at you. That's all of us because of the love handle thing, right? This is really actually very good news. And Abraham is a guy, we think of him as this perfect Bible guy, but you know what? He made some serious mistakes. He had love handles coming out from underneath that fancy Bible robe of his. Let me tell you, I got too many of them to even tell you about. I can tell you about a couple. One time, he's going over to Egypt. And he is so worried because he thinks his wife Sarah is so beautiful. And, and, and he doesn't, he's afraid the, the men of Egypt are going to see her and think, we want her and kill him to get her. So what does he do when he gets to Egypt? He shows up in Egypt and uh, they're like, hey, who's that? He's like, oh, her? Uh, it's just my sister. It's like, oh, way to go, Bible guy. You know, lion, lion dog. Isn't that interesting? Isn't that interesting? A proud person can be so full of faith. Here we go, God, I'll do anything for you. And then the next minute, just lie to cover your own skin. The next. And when I hear that, I think, oh, wait a second. Me too. That sounds like me. A person who's capable of vacillating in their faith person who might even shade the truth a little bit in order to protect yourself. In other words, he's a lot like you and me and has made that kind of mistake. Maybe not once, but maybe a bunch. That wasn't Abraham's only mistake. I could tell you about a whole bunch. You know, one time God promised Abraham, you're going to have a child. And Abraham said, cool, uh, when? And it didn't happen fast enough. And when God promises you something and you say, I'm going to take it into my own hands, it's a mistake. And that's what Abraham did. He took it into his own hands. And when you take, and the thing that you're taking into your own hands is having a baby Hmm, that's particularly a bad situation. Abraham had sex with a mistress in order to have a baby. Thought he would help God's plan a little bit. Guess how that worked out? Turned out to be a big mistake. Genesis chapter 16, verse 2. Sarah, his wife, says to Abraham, The Lord seems to be preventing me from having children, so, I don't know, maybe you should just go sleep with my servant. Perhaps I will have children through her. You see the desperation in that woman, the ache that she's feeling? And Abraham says, okay. Guys, 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 guys. Is it true or is it not true that once in a while your wife might say something, suggest something, ask a question, and the correct answer is no. Does anybody know what I'm talking about? Does this dress make me look fat? What's the answer? Yes, that's correct. Yes. Do you think that, do you think she's cute? What's the answer? No. I know it's our anniversary. I know, but you just play golf all day with your guys. What do you say? Ooh, that was harder. I lost some on that. The 11.30 crowd is a pretty worldly group, I guess. Hey, I know. Here's my mistress. Why don't you just go have sex with her? I, I guess I want to believe that maybe Abraham could have said, Honey, I would never think of it. You're the only one for me, and we're going to hold together and trust God and wait on His promise. He didn't do that. He made a big mistake, and it hurt his wife deeply. Maybe some of you can relate to that, too. They had a little baby boy named Ishmael, and now they're all under one roof, happy little, not-so-happy little family. Abraham and Sarah and baby Ishmael, oh yeah, and mistress Mama Hagar, who Sarah, you can understand, maybe doesn't feel particularly fond of. Some of you think you have an awkward blended family. This is so tense and awkward. Hagar and baby Ishmael eventually are kicked out of the family, banished from the house, and now he's got kids in different places. 
Some of you understand that. Ishmael's descendants are the Arabs. And Abraham's other son, Isaac, has descendants. They become the Jews. The two of them have been at each other's throats ever since. It's a legacy of pain. There's a big mistake there. Love handles all over the place on this guy. Imperfect. Big mistake. Sinned against his wife. Sinned against his kids. Ongoing stuff. Still dealing with family. Against God. All of this. And yet, in God's grace, he still visits Abraham. Comes to him and says, Abraham, I'm still going to bless you. And through you, you're going to be a blessing. Sarah, you're going to have a baby. Now, they hear this. They're very old. She's 90. He's, or he's 100. She's practically 90. I can't remember. They're both really, really old. And Sarah hears it, going to have a baby. She's like, she's like texting her sister, LOL, LL, LMBO. He's like, oh yeah, he says I'm going to have a baby. They're just laughing. And it is kind of funny when people that old start talking about having babies, right? I mean, do you go to the birthing suite or the geriatric ward when you go to the hospital? And we, does Medicare cover childbirth? I mean, this, it's kind of funny when you think about it, you know? You go to McDonald's, you can get the you know, senior's discount and the kid's meal all at the same place. <laughs> Stop by Costco and get, you know, Depends and Pampers all in one visit. Buy some baby food because nobody has any teeth. We'll just, you know, it is funny. It is funny when you think about it. But that's what happened. God came through. God did give them a baby. She got pregnant. They had a baby. And the baby comes out. And they're like, holy cow. God is keeping his promises even to people like us. And they named the baby Isaac, which means laughter. Yeah. And Abraham is living proof that God can and does and will use imperfect people who have made some serious mistakes. And that includes you and me. That's important for dads because a lot of times we feel inadequate, like we're just mess-ups, we don't have what it takes, we don't, we don't do this very well. How can I talk about my kids to this? How can I talk to my kids about this when I was, I was the same way when I was their age? Or I don't know, I don't, I'm not an, exactly an angel, so I guess I shouldn't say anything. Listen, I know you got mistakes, but our God is a God of the second chance. Our God sent His Son, Jesus Christ, so we could have new life, new options, new future, and we can be made new. Each of us needs to mark this down right now. I'm telling you this. It doesn't matter where your feet have been. It matters where your feet are headed. It doesn't matter where your feet have been. It matters where your feet are headed. So instead of turning our glass upside down, Closing ourselves off to the filling of God, whining about our empty glass and our dysfunctional family and all of our past mistakes. What we're called to do is to open ourselves to God like this. The God who then will say, I know you're imperfect. I know those flaws. I know your family. I know all that. But I still want to bless and pour and fill you with myself. The, the everlasting living water of Jesus himself. Open yourself to it. Let him fill you so you can mm, mm, be refreshed. Have something worth sharing. And the way you do it is the same way Abraham did it. Let him get your attention. He's talking to you. Maybe it'll be uncomfortable, unsettling, shake you up a little bit, rattle your cage, I don't know. But then you stop repelling, start opening your life, and let him fill you. And when he does, it will give you power and strength to overcome your past family stuff and to overcome your past mistake stuff and to have an opportunity to really give something.
But you've got to be filled first. You know, we had 76 baptisms last Sunday afternoon here at Mountain. It was great. Of course, it was so hot, I think half people did it just to cool down. I hope not. But uh, it was a great day. We celebrated that. And I told those people, yeah, it's an awesome thing. Um, go to our website and uh, look at the video there. It's awesome. Or our YouTube page. It's just fun to watch the, the compendium of the video there. But I told those people what I want to tell you. And that is that at the baptism of Jesus... They all heard the voice of the Father God as Jesus was there about to be baptized. It's the inaugural point in his life where he was getting ready to go serve and lead. The voice of God from heaven says as his Father, he says, This is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. This is my Son. I love Him. I'm so pleased with Him. A voice of approval and authentication, and validation, and a filling, and a blessing, so he could go be a blessing. Friends, those are words that every single one of us longs to hear. A voice of validation, and approval, and blessing from God, our Father. We long to hear it from anywhere we can. And you might have been one of the few who were so blessed in life that some humans have filled your cup with that. It might have been a parent, a dad, or a mom who gave you some of that. But here's the way that you can be filled to the full because no dad, no mom, no matter how awesome, can do it. No kid, no spouse, no relationship will ever fill you up fully. Here's the way you do it, the same way Abraham did. You just open your life to him and he will fill you to the full. And guess what? It'll just keep on coming despite your imperfections, despite your past, and it overflows and it overflows and it overflows and it overflows to other people around you to your kids, to your wife, and then you have something to give them. And it's a beautiful thing. It all starts with you opening yourself to the Lord. I hope you'll do that on this Father's Day. Let's pray together. God, we just pray that you will help us to not be closed off to you, to let you get our attention and like Abraham to to not be always repelling what you're trying to say to us, but to open our hearts to receive your love, your overflowing life of faith, hope, and love. Help us to overcome family of origin issues by your power and your strength. Help forgive us for our past mistakes. And Lord, we just want to have our lives blessed so that we can be a blessing to others. Be with those who are fatherless and those whose hearts are aching on this day. Fill us to overflow, we pray. For the sake of Jesus, amen.